The following episode of Fofop is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen shaped hole, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax. This is Tofa. Ironically, I'm not relaxed. <laughs> Hearing aid? How's the volume? I mean, the volume's good. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you know it's okay. You, I, I want you to talk how you talk. I like that. You know, and laugh how you laugh. I just like to listen to it. And sometimes I'm so bad at this. Oh, I, I should start because then we can just keep talking about this. Hello, I'm going to fofop. I'm Will Anderson, and our guest Charlie Clawson. First time guest Charlie Clawson. I did not explain any of that to you. I normally explain. I understand before. it. Okay, I listened to the show. All right, so first time our guest Charlie Clawson. Uh, Brendan Burns is here. Hello, Brendan. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm actually at your place. Well, you, the place that you're staying at the moment. Yeah, we're renting a place in Coogee. And uh, I drove over this morning, and because I don't have my normal podcast set up, I literally lugged over everything that's normally in the podcave. So uh, we've set up microphone stands here. I was. I like, think this is a good little podcast, like room slash table. Like the moment, like when I was looking at places on Airbnb, because I'm doing a couple today, uh-huh. and then I'm having a couple of people on tomorrow. Uh, I wanted like a good podcast room. You need a, you need a, your version of Airbnb for comedians, where you can go excellent excellent acoustics for your podcast. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> I think they probably will start doing that now. <laughs> well, maybe at those rooms they have on the road. You know, like when uh, you play a club and the club has an apartment yeah. and it's the comics apartment. They need to have like, you know, the soundproof room so you can do your podcast. Which I mean, that makes sense, Everyone hates right? them in the States. They hate the condo. The condo is loathed because apparently the comedian's condo is never cleaned and there's a lot of like groupages there. Well, I mean, it's it's hilarious because this is the thing about we comedy. dream of having like, don't we? Well, we we stay though in hotel rooms. Like that's the thing, particularly in America. Most of the time, you're like, I get the hotel room. I don't have to stay in the condo. Yeah. But the truth of it is, that just means we're more scared of other comedians, people we know's jizz, than we are of strangers' jizz. Because it's not like. <laughs> Because hotel rooms, you, you, you're sleeping on strangers' chairs. Whereas at least in the condo, you might be sleeping on Greg Proop's chairs or, you know, someone you actually admire. You know, someone, you're like, oh, Hannibal Barres's chairs might be on the wall here. You know, he's doing real well now. So you think like, when it comes to spermatozoa, it's better the devil you know. Well, I think so. Sometimes I look back fondly at who was there the week before. I don't know. I think our, our industry is just a, a fucking hepatitis alphabet. Right, no, I understand that, but don't you sometimes want to watch like the end you know, of the Oscars and Zach Galifianakis comes out and you go, I've rolled around in his semen. How many comedians listen to your podcast? Ah, uh, I, I doubt many. Go, okay. come. Some. All right, go. My wife has a set of sheets, like uh, uh, a pecking order of sheets at my house for what when comedians come to stay. Oh, Oh, and for the, the spare room. There are the STD sheets uh-huh. for certain people who should remain nameless. There's family. So there's when my mum my right. comes to stay. Yeah. Her friends. My mum and her friends. All fine. Okay. that's <laughs> All top shelf sheets. It'd be, it'd be terrible. Uh, there's a lot of mid-range comics that like look like if they wash. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Do, you just and, don't want a, like a, a stink left on it. Uh, and then there's just, you know, the, the, the herpes. Well, 
All right. Now, is there anyone who gets just really nice sheets out of the comics? Is there anyone that she really trusts and goes, oh, this person gets the nice one. sheets? One. One guy. One. One guy. And does that guy know that he is special or is that just like a secret No, because if have? I tell him, then he'll tell everyone else. Right. And then everybody else knows. But there is not- one guy that is top shelf. Right. That he, he looks like his hygiene standards are second to none and he's allowed the good sheets. Wow. I mean, that's a thing that that person does not really know that they've achieved, but I'm they should be very proud of. Here. <laughs> I am. I'm not going to ask you too much more. And, and, and the thing is, if if you get the couch, you know you're a dirty sex person. Right. <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, which is grossly unfair because in the 90s, I was definitely the dirty sex person. Right. But now I'm horrified. Like, there was a comedian, uh, a Perth comedian, John Robertson, and he said that he knew I was getting old because he was, he had to leave. He was opening for me and he had to leave early to go and have a threesome. Uh-huh. And apparently I went without thinking, what, another one? <laughs> Another one. There's a couple of things I love about that as well, though. He's <laughs> like leaving. Who's got the time? Leaving, leaving early for a threesome, too. That yeah. means. Because, like, threesomes, in my experience, which is not, you know, Russell Brand like, but is some. Okay, well, talk me through. What, what are we saying? Like, well, all I would say is. This is going to be involving my kids in the corner. Oh, yeah, your my kids sex in the corner. My going to come into this. Are you going to be okay. all right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. You're he, literally your child. He's okay in the with everything, just so long as he doesn't. Well, actually, we did a podcast together, Traveling Across Australia. And he divulged that he's okay with my act just so long as he doesn't, and I quote, have to deal with my specific penis going into a vagina. Ah, oh, yeah, fair enough. No, that's true. I mean, that's, that's where, he, for him, that's a moment of creation, you know I mean? That's his origin story. That's now, his Batman falling down a cave, <laughs> you know? Now, threesome-wise, now, <laughs> there's a huge difference, right, uh, in that I suppose I should give a bit of context. Yep. Like a lot of Australians listen to this. Uh, I'm an Australian comedian that worked overseas. I was a 90s comic. Let's call it that. What does that mean, a 90s comic, uh, do you that think? That means that uh, I've been to rehab. I'm now sober. <laughs> okay, yeah. All right. <laughs> and I was quite... You know what? I, right. was a, I was a nine for a comedian uh-huh. in my youth. Yeah. Like, you've kept your looks. Right. I don't know. Is that the osteoporosis or something? Or yeah. Is it sickness that's I mean, you? mostly... You're ju- still handsome. I just don't like to go out in the sun. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, like, this is basically what doing no... You're still cute. No manual labour will do for like, you. What are you, 40-something? <laughs> I'm 42 in a week or two. Because uh, I remember I had, like, a couple of women on the show, and I think something has changed now, that there was a time, well, certainly in the UK, that 90s, that 90s comedy was very rock and roll, and there was a lot of gag hags and so on, and there was a lot of drugs and a lot of excess, and a lot of people were making a lot of money. Uh, a lot of people that probably couldn't handle that level of money were making a lot of money. And well, a lot of people who become stand-up comedians to be irresponsible suddenly had a shitload of like uh, yes. money to finance their irresponsibilities. Absolutely. Whereas, whereas people sometimes now go into stand-up comedy as a business and they tend to shy away from that. But yeah, I which always, is why a lot of their acts suck. Right, but a lot of their lives are much more together. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. Someone swans in. Jimmy Carr changed everything. Yeah. Jimmy Carr, because he was the former head of Shell Marketing and he came in with a five-year plan. Right. And all of us went... What? Like, he, he, yeah. he came to Edinburgh, he said, he called his show Jimmy Carr's Idea for a Television Show. Right. And he got nominated and he had a five-year plan. And I don't know if you've ever seen him doing business, talking to people that are on the business side of this, but he's better at it than they are. He's the most capable individual I've ever seen in our industry. Uh, but so anyway, so I suppose in the 90s, I was, I was, I was a nine for a comedian. Uh-huh. Now I'm a five. 
All right. I'm a five or a six at best. And yeah. I had some women on the show and I was saying, is that changing for women? Like, uh, uh, are female comedians getting like extra two points with the mic in their hand? They said, no. And I said, I, I'm a five at six at best. And they went, oh. And I was like, don't give me that shit. I used to be a nine. I know the difference. Ah, you know what, though? I like, know the difference. Yeah, but I, I've also got a different theory about this, which is I think, it, like, if you are holding too much onto, like, when you're in your 40s yep. and you still look like you you want to look like you're dressing like you're in your early 30s and, you know, you're, like, keeping yourself so fit, I, I think that's dishonest. Oh, I that, think- that just screams of what are you covering up and why are you so sad? Well, like, I think also it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful trade-off in that I'm very happily married. Right. And that makes it – because also – if you go from a nine to a five, right, right, your self awareness goes from a five to a nine, right, and I think that, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I there's a trade off. There's that's no a doubt. good deal, right? I do think that's a good deal, and it, it certainly makes maintaining a lifelong relationship very easy. Like when my wife like says, you know, when I go off to Australia, she's like, "Now nah, you're not going to get hit on by all those nubile young groupies." I'm like, "Honey." doesn't happen anymore yeah honey make me a toasted sandwich and i guarantee it yeah I guarantee it <laughs> not only that this is something i'm working on not only that i mean actually you you want to leave you don't want to hear this australia <laughs> i was trying to prolong my orgasm the other night uh-huh. and i couldn't and i made this noise oh come on <laughs> now to when yourself I no out loud but like, were you a, were, was that my wife? Yes, I understand. I mean, that. oh come on! Yeah, but you can't see. I That's not for public access. I understand that. I'm but not I, willing to share that level of humiliation with a stranger. You've got to. <laughs> what you've, do you mean? Well, you, I think that you have to because, the, like, you, now that you, we're our age again, comedically, I mean more than this, which is like, I think that you've got to be talking about what real life is like at your age. Yes. And most people's real life at your age is going through the same things. They're not at the gym four hours a day and doing Pilates and, you know, eating, you know, kale and all these sort of things. And sometimes I feel like the people who are doing that, that's a really artificial constraint for, you sure. know, reflecting where you are in your life and how you be funny, right? But, but I'm also saying now that I'm not as sexy as I used to be, I'm not willing to share that with another human being. Right. Oh, you're not willing. I understand what you're saying. You're not willing to. Yes. But I get, I get the idea of. <laughs> my, my wife's my best basically, mate. Yeah. And basically, it takes a best mate. Basically what you. To deal with yeah. you going, oh, come on. And but, then. But basically what you've said a is. A grimacing cum face. Yeah. You can't. The reason I've let myself go, love, is because I love you so much. <laughs> you don't understand it, that every step down I take is actually a step up in the love I have for you. Yes. Do you understand that yeah. I, the possible sex I'm eliminating with every bite of this sandwich I take? <laughs> and so, so back to, back to right. threesomes. So back yes. in the day. So I want you to differentiate. Like I so say, you didn't do Russell Brand threesomes. Mm. But are we talking, you've managed to talk two ladies into it? Or, or no. it's a, I, I, a couple of bisexual ladies because there's a world of difference between two uh, women and two bisexual okay. ladies. Okay, you're absolutely true about uh, all of that. Uh, and I, the first thing I will say is I have never been brave enough in my life huh. to ever suggest a threesome to anybody. Like that is just, I just never, like I was one of those guys even when I was dating that often we'd be <laughs> making out and you'd still be like, is this going well? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I've never been the guy, who, I'm not Babe Ruth. I'm not going out there and like pointing my <laughs> finger at the crowd and going, this is what's going to happen. When, when, when they ask to introduce you in America, you know, they 
all want to do their credits. Yeah. I'm like, why lower their expectations? Yes. That's how I want to start. And then hopefully they'll be pleasantly surprised afterwards. Yeah. So the idea that I could convince someone or talk someone into a threesome, <laughs> no. Like I've stumbled into a couple along the way. That's... <laughs> What, like it was already happening and you knew the password? No, but like... <laughs> like no. a cagey, like, garage? No, what I've later realised is I've never <laughs> I've never had a choice in the matter. It's always been decided that it was happening way before they checked with me that it was happening. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like it was always something that the other two people involved had concocted and, and decided... Was, and was fame a uh, catalyst in that? Well... <laughs> I mean, no, just random people on the street, Brendan, though, what I was meeting. <laughs> no, so I mean like someone – so we're talking like 90s, so this is pre uh, This is pre social media, yeah? Yeah, I mean this would have been – So we're, just at a gig? We're to- to- yeah, we're talk- yeah, we're talking the era where probably like, – I'm talking like 25 to 27 because then I was in a pretty serious relationship. Um, uh, I just started – I'd been doing Triple J maybe for two years. I'd done like a bit of like Good News Week on the tally and stuff Now, that makes here. you a bit of a rock star back and, then, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, and I'd been doing – had long hair and had been doing, you know uh, – Gotcha. Um, you know, comedy for five or six years, you know. So, you know what the time is, like in your career, in your life and whatever, that, that you know time. I've got to tell you this as well. Like the, that show, The Glass House, that you did – well, The Gruen Transfer – as well, you know that like those adverts that they made would constantly go viral. You mm. must know this. Yeah. And and foreigners would come up to me and go like, "You seen that Australian advert?" And I'm like, "Well, <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that there were people, people thought they were, were real adverts." Oh no, I didn't know that at all. And it was actually uh, very much how Australia was viewed was through that. That was one of the smartest shows on television. That was really. I mean, again. and then I tried to catch up on the Glass House, and you know what's really funny is. Uh, if you get the best of the Glass House or Good News Week uh. DVDs, they have zero context. And so they, because they presume that no one's ever going to buy it that isn't a fan of the show. Right. So you know Channel 39 on the Fast Show? The baffling Spa- Spanish channel? Or you know when you're in Paris and you're just switching through and then just there's this baffling shit going on and, and, and there's no like backstory to it? That's exactly what all of those best of DVDs are like. Oh. If, if you don't know, you're like, what's, what's happening? Why is this guy running in? What's, why is Anthony Morgan snogging a mannequin? Like, I mean, it makes, and yet they're speaking English. It, and it makes, makes no sense at all. None, none whatsoever. My, my girlfriend will occasionally put the best of the glass house one on and just flip through the chapters and go, shit haircut, shit haircut, shit haircut, <laughs> shit haircut. <laughs> but are you aware that what that looked like to someone who's from overseas? No, I mean, I don't think we had any it awareness. Was baffling. I don't think we had any awareness of it all at the time, though. Like, I mean... Talk me through it. What is the, what is the platform of the show? Explain it to me as a guy that... Unlike an Australian that's almost come out of a time capsule. You mean Gruen or you mean Glasshouse? Gruen, I understand. Right. Gruen is like... So, it's, it's, Gruen... Like, Gruen's it's about media. Right. Well, Gruen basically is a show where we try to... The kind of... Our philosophy behind the show is... Uh, People say it's a show about advertising, but it's not. It's a show about uh, that we try to explain the world through capitalism. So we will look at something, like this year we looked at the Pope's Tour of America, for example, but instead of looking at it the way the rest of the media look at it, we look at it, why he arrived in a, you know, Air Italia plane, why he got into a Fiat, why, yeah, how much were it they spending like on it, how much... before Freakonomics was massive. Right, and we were doing, and basically we just look at the world through capitalism, because the prism through which we live is capitalism, and capitalism is in some ways the most honest thing of all, because we can pretend... 
what human beings are like, but the people who really need to know what they're like are people who are trying to convince us to buy their shit. Yeah. They know what manipulates us. They know what buttons to push. And what does that say then about us as people? It's kind of the philosophy behind the show. And socioeconomics was definitely like, it's, the, it's, 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 it's almost like the study of human incentive. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and then The Glass House, was, I watched a couple of times. I... I it was. It, you it, couldn't begin to explain that show to me. Well, what was it? it, it I don't know. It was. A, you know what it was? It was. A, it was a podcast before podcasts. Oh, really? That's what it was. Ah, uh, so it was just free form chat. It was a free form chat where we would gotcha. have we would have some stories, like I mean, things from the week, but they were there was no game style element to it. So literally, we would introduce stories, like you know, there would be some jokes and some monologues and bits like that. There was like a weird sketch where Hughes, you would play one of the people from the week, so he just put on like a you know a hat and a whatever, and now, it wasn't like an impression. It was like Hughes, you just being Husey but with like a hat on and we'd interview him in the character like it was just a collect it was literally it was a podcast a film podcast before because all the things existed purely just like let's see if this will be funny gotcha yeah and so how that was on the ABC ABC 218 episodes or something like that get out of here Uh, uh, that's massive yeah we did a lot of shows and how hard do you think that would be to get that show on the air today uh, I'm interviewing you on your own podcast. Yeah, I know. Well, that's right. Habit. We'll get back to threesomes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real roller coaster. <laughs> um, it's. It, 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 I don't even know. Like, I mean, because that was off the back of Good News Week, you know, right. um, where it had gone to 10 and that sort of thing. And the ABC wanted something, you know, like, you know, like a Good News Week again. But is that still on? Good News Week. Yeah. That comes back every now and again. But they don't, it's not, it's, it's filmed a month beforehand or something isn't it well they used to film it and we used to do okay how do you do a satirical news show a month early cheaply what that's <laughs> why would you do that i don't understand it's, like australia makes no sense to me no look good news week wasn't too the well here's oh okay well two practical things i don't know how interesting this is for people but two practical things is the the more you film and the more you have to edit the longer you have to put it away from the actual uh you know air date right yeah so like if you film like live to tape like those american tonight shows when you pretty much go and see them it blows your mind because they pretty much just do the show they're a well old as as the show goes to air there's barely a pickup there's barely an edit in the whole thing you know the band plays through where the ads are gonna go and then they just come back and they're back into the show like it's live they've tried a number of times and failed in the uk uh, one of which i helmed uh, uh and they tried to do that and they just don't have the manpower right I think, well that's part of it because you're putting on a major, a major kind of theater show every night yeah but the other thing is that we kind of come from that culture a bit of like let's get it better let you know we'll film it and we'll film more than we need to film and then we'll cut out the bits that we don't need and we'll put it back together i'm a big believer in the closer you can get it to the way it happened on the night the more natural it's going to feel on tv like your thing about the best of shows if you cut it up too much you suddenly you lose all the rhythm and like, the energy what's happening Right. <laughs> What's happened? I was like, you know what it looked like? It, it, it reminded me of, and please don't be offended, but I'm just saying that this I'm is... I'm in no way offended. Yeah, all right. Okay, this is from an outsider, just an outsider like perspective of... Do you remember Eurotrash? Uh, no. Eurotrash, okay, was a show on Channel 4 late at night, and it would just show bizarre European... Oh, television. actually, I do know what you mean, yes. So they would even do Eurotrash Down Under, uh-huh. and they would show bizarre Australian television. And it was... It was... It, it was... People were speaking English, right? But you still couldn't understand what the fuck was going on. I mean, it's like uh, I went and saw. That's the opposite too. I went and saw uh, in Montreal one year. I got there the week early, you know, when they're doing the French speaking. Oh festival. my god! And, and you're like, how know, many times you're going to fall over, Pepe Le Pew? <laughs> 
Well, that's the interesting thing about the French comedy is you don't actually need to understand a lot of the language to understand the comedy. Because I went and saw a gig and I swear (laughs) I would have understood a third of it. Because, you know, falling down is universal. (laughs) (laughs) I remember at Montreal one year, the... um, uh, because the French comedians are really quite snide, except for Mike Ward, great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but but a lot of them, obviously, I think are maybe a bit insecure uh, because you know, come on. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so they're really kind of quite standoffish and a bit snooty. And uh, the festival organizer Gilbert introduces me to this Quebecois movie star. And he goes, this guy's a movie star. They just made the number one comedy in uh, Quebec, you know, Quebecois history. And it made over a million dollars in the first week. And the guy goes, and like grunts at me. And I couldn't help myself. I went, million dollars, really? How many times did you fall down for that? (laughs) I couldn't. Look, he pulled the face at me. Right. He he needed the bitch slap. Uh, Well, I mean, you know, they know know what they're doing. (laughs) No, they don't. They don't. If you not seen like a, they've like a French version of like the the French satirist, the French cutting edge guy, this is the French Lenny Bruce, uh-huh. and then they trans like even Charlie Hebdo, which okay, we're all uh, behind. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, kind of. In f- philosophically, we're all behind. And philosophically, but I could I could find you plenty of examples where I'm not really comfortable. <laughs> But that's that's the but you know I, but that's what you mean broadly philosophical we believe in the idea of being able to satirize everything yeah and this is blah, cutting blah, blah, edge and cutting edge magazine but there's also some things where I'm like oh that's just a bad joke uh, yeah well not only that or just like you know the the, the hook nosed Jew oh, pictures and, I mean and it's just but then the caption underneath. And you translate it and you're like, did a 12-year-old write this in his piss right. on a wall? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm behind the idea of freedom of speech. I just wish I had some better stuff to defend sometimes. Do you? you? Know? Well, you just know, I mean, I know defending the worst of freedom of speech is the idea of freedom of speech, okay? Yeah. Right, I get that. But just sometimes when you have to be, you know, you know, you know we are Charlie, you know, like about it. Yeah. Like you're like, couldn't we, oh, couldn't it be? that you fucked know what I mean? me off, I must admit, because the amount of... Liberal douchebaggery, which I know almost makes me associate myself with the Bill O'Reilly's of this world just by using that no, term. No, you can be complex. But it's okay. You can be. You can, right. you, you can, you can be involved be, in the areas right. of grey. And there's a lot of shouty lefty cunts right. in the UK that are phony, that are really phony. Like you talk to black comics mm-hmm. and black comics go like, the shouty lefty guys are the worst. Right. Like backstage, they don't treat us like equals. No. They don't. They, there's a lot of guys that oh. they're just doing it because they're supposed to. So when this Je Sweet Charlie came, thing came on board, I was like, you motherfuckers, you would have been shitting on this magazine a month ago. Right. Like, how fucking dare you? They yeah. really... And I think you're allowed to have a complex opinion about those things. I think you can say, I'm broadly in favour of this, but there are plenty of examples here. That I mean, even that cartoon recently, there's been a, a, a Charlie Hebdo one that was controversial in the last few days. They imagined uh, the kid who died, you know, the, the famous refugee oh, with the photo. Face down. Yeah. And then they, it, the cartoon imagined him growing up and becoming a sex offender <laughs> in, you know, in the recent sort of sex offender things, right? <laughs> and I mean, so, so some people got offended. Uh, surprise! <laughs> uh, but the funny thing is, the thing whenever is, I'm delivered news about something deeply offensive, straight Straight-faced, it's terrible. It gets right. me every time. No, no, I understand. It's a fart in church. Yeah. No, it, I, it gets I, me. I like. I crack up every offended people saying offended, right. offensive sentences. 
Never not fun. But even a thing like that, I'd rather us have a debate where instead of people instinctively going, this is horrible and racist and, you know, whatever it is, like, the, the, I have heard arguments saying that, no, no, what this cartoon was doing was satirising the fact that everybody at the moment is saying all these refugees are sex offenders, yet, like, just months ago, yeah. we all were sad about this little kid. You can't hold those two positions at the same time. And that's what we're satirising. Now, I'd rather us just go, okay, well, it could be both of those things. Mm. Like, I can understand why people are offended. And I'm sure the person who drew it didn't think, like, I mean, you've, you've done this. You've known as being a person, like, over the years who have, like, like pushed at the edge of what is offensive and not offensive. I'm obsessed you, with it, I guess. You must have got to a position where at least the thing that pisses me off the most is people who say something offensive and then like complain Act when like people victim. are yeah. offended. You can't like do you that. knew this thing was offensive, so that you can defend it. You can like you know be cool with it yourself and say I don't care about your criticism or whatever. But the people who get criticised and then go, you're like, well, hang on, like stay it and stand behind it. That's true. I think the uh, well, I think the best stance in that situation is to not defend it. I agree. To go, well, I don't have to defend Say what it. you think and then let, why would stand you, by Why it? are we now living in this era of uh, people want comedians to apologize for a joke and to which I'm like, why would you want an apology that I don't really mean for right. saying something that I didn't really mean? Like somewhere along the way, people started using irony as an, as an out, which they're never, they, you know, first of all, look up irony. Uh, people right. often say oh, I'm being ironic it's like no you're not no. you're not being the op- you're not saying the opposite yeah. of what you mean you're joking yeah. right and somehow joking became irony's right. poor cousin and yet a joke can be far more sophisticated and, and use you know with a, a, and such an a, a economic use of language that sometimes you write one that makes its way around the world and people don't even know who wrote it and so that to be sneery about that I just don't understand that sometimes Look, I, I, I often say that I, I feel like stand-up comedy at times can be the ultimate in communication, particularly if you go to different cultures. And what I find very interesting as well is I try to spend as much time as I can being the racial minority in the room. Uh-huh. I like playing to black audiences. I like playing to Asian audiences. Because when you go to different countries and different cultures, because it is the ultimate in communication, because you're never really saying what you're saying. And people have to read between the lines. And there's almost a degree of mental telepathy, particularly if you're in another culture and it's not their first language. Mm-hmm. And, and I think laughter is the sound of comprehension and being received. And I honestly do believe that no comedian ever, maybe in my youth, maybe as an act of petulance, but I think you get a few years under your belt, no comedian ever sets out to offend anyone. Right. No comedian ever does that. The, the, the end game is always to get the laugh, to be received, to be, you know, to be understood, uh, to get love from strangers, like, like some sort of chuckle hooker, uh, you know, it's usually down to poor parenting. Right. You know, <laughs> it, it's, it's I, I remember years ago, I got very highfalutin when uh, our mutual friend Paul Provenza told me that it's, we can't look down our nose at prostitutes because we're the same thing. Uh-huh. And I was like, what? but this is my art. This is, and he just, but the more, reasoning i gave it the more examples i gave my examples supported his argument because i was like okay what are you doing i'm right. getting love yeah. from strangers and i'm basically taking people away from their lives for money for a laugh 
and I'm humiliating myself. Wait, wait. Yeah, okay. No. And it's like this public humiliation. But it's your choice and you can sometimes enjoy it and sometimes you're forced into it and sometimes because dad wasn't home. Yeah, you know, and, like. and you know what? Sometimes you do get paid in crack. Right. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> sometimes you have a dealer who's a, some sort of pimp who's uh, ripping you off constantly, taking yeah. a lot of your money while you're laying on your back or standing up straight doing your job. No blow, no show. <laughs> sometimes it's a whole group of strangers at a football club and you... <laughs> That's why I think every comedian at some point, I mean, how many comedians Sometimes do you know? it's a bucks night and you yeah. don't like those nights. That's a bad night. How many comedians do you know that have married strippers that have settled down? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. That's true. Right. Well, first of all, loads of us have dated strippers. Why, both cash economies? Uh, late at ca- night, same clubs. Same clubs. Yeah. Well, it's like bartend. I mean, yeah, it's like it's the people who are there when you know when yeah. people are going home. Yeah, they tend to you know it's it's rare that somebody you know a comedian's dating somebody who's getting up at seven a.m. to go for a jog. <laughs> it's just going to be tough coordinating <laughs> sleep patterns at the very least. I would have thought. <laughs> um, yeah, it's an interesting question. Like, I, I, I think it's the same psyche, though. Do you think that um, uh, where do you feel like talking about co- uh, controversy? Saying we're here, and you you know you're an expert in it. Um, uh, well, you'd like to think about it. That's that's probably a better place. Well, to interestingly, put it. actually, we just put out the the. So I suppose this is offensive now. Special for free on YouTube yesterday. Oh, is that right? Because there was someone cut a clip, give people a bit of backstory. I did a show years ago where I did a social experiment where I faked a racist argument with a woman in the front row to expose liberal pretense and outright bigotry uh, simultaneously. Hopefully, I wanted to create a moment where. People fell into one of those two schools of thought, you know. and and what Brendan isn't kind of explaining uh, is that uh, on first view, uh, that 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 in the show felt like a real. Uh, so you fake yeah. when you say you faked it. It, the, the kind of premise was that I mean I remember the first time I saw it like I was like oh what the fuck is until I was like oh yeah okay right <laughs> but like that's comedian's brain like you feel like the whole point was it was meant to feel like a real argument right what well, yes. felt like a real that's argument. why we made a point yes. of not actually saying things clearly yeah like she would throw me curveballs every day uh, but also we wouldn't be coherent you know we'd like mess up particular words so because it was too scripted and it, it was too yeah it would sound like an Aaron when how Aaron Sorkin uh, writes things yes exactly yeah. so like we stumbled on things because we got angry because yeah. when you get angry you're not lucid yeah and uh, and it was interesting as well because some people would complain and go well for a guy that got these heckles set up his his put downs are a bit shit yeah. and I'm like yeah that was I had to make it realistic I mean can you imagine the comedian's ego because that would have been first step in your normal comedian ego is well this is all a setup I'm going to make everything I say brilliant yes <laughs> but I had to but the whole point of the show right. was that I was fallible and yeah. and, and per, my personal uh, preference is that I think if you pull the rug out from under people you need to be standing on it yeah absolutely uh, uh, oh it, no you can't you're not a magician you're not there to trick them like well, also, I mean, I, I get a bit bored by comedians that are always the hero in their stories. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or, or they always try and sell a, a smarter, cooler, better version of themselves or, or more liberal version of themselves. I think that happens a lot. Yeah. The, like, sometimes the, I'm watching some guys and I'm like, you're a bigot. I know you. You're, you, fuck you. Well, also the thing <laughs> is that you could talk about the same topic in a much more interesting way if you embrace the conflicts that you have within it. That's, I, a, that's, the, thing, so, yeah. that's the thing that I always find. If you st- started from a point of talking about your natural bigotry versus what you want to say about, you know, a progressive point of view, then I think that makes it a more interesting routine. But if you just go out there and you lie about it or, like, I mean, I've well, been, it got cut and it went viral. All and right. then I had UKIP voters 
Oh, on your to, side. Turning up to see me. And very disappointed in my content. Because it turns out, whilst I wanted to go after liberal pretense and bigotry, the way that it went viral, and I think it's at 15 million views now, and someone uh-huh. really chopped it to make me look very, very racist. Right. And um, What is the headline of the piece? Does it just say that it's your piece you, or is there... This is why you should never heckle a comedian. And it's one of those websites uh-huh. that steals your content and yep. doesn't name you and just says... And makes a point of not sending anyone to the show, uh-huh. which is why I eventually I put it up on YouTube and I've made it available for people to download and upload, etc. Because I'm kind of a bit sick of the poison that's been spread in my name. Also, you know what? It's a great show. People should watch it. It's, oh, I, I've seen it. It's, it's a fun I've, show. I've seen it live and seen the the DVD of it, and they're both uh, really. Did you fun. see it in Edinburgh? Uh, I guess I must have seen it in Edinburgh. That's where the only that place the I would have been able to see it. Because did you get to see their their performance? The plants. Their performance begins in the queue. Uh, no, because we got there. Uh, oh, that's a shame. Yeah, we came from another show. I, I remember. Because that room was starting. just rigged perfectly, yeah. wasn't it? The, yeah, it was perfect. The, 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 but also, I th- quite fortuitous. It was a, there was a degree of serendipity and, and kismet to it. That oh, that's a tautology. What a wanker! Uh, I just said tautology. It's a podcast, well. mate. It's all right. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll edit it all out. You let me know tautologies. <laughs> that's, but, the, that's the only thing I edit for is tautologies. <laughs> But the year before, my set had been uh, a bunch of mirrors in the background. Uh-huh. So I just used the set from the year previous, but we angled it so that no matter where you were sitting, you could see and hear uh, them. Yeah. And the smaller Clever. the room, the more they hated her. The bigger the room, the more they hated me. Yeah. And we would, uh, they would, get into a, we would get into an argument. She, she basically turns up her backstory. It's played by Sajila Kershey, who is actually a club owner and a comedian. And, and, and some comedians, she, her performance was so raw, so real. Reginald D. Hunter, a, a black American comedian based in the UK, he actually stood up and went, she ought to know better. <laughs> Kate Copstick, <laughs> uh, Kate Copstick, <clears throat> a, a critic for the Scotsman, one of the most feared critics, you know, she can be very, although I think feared is the wrong word because to be honest, a good review and a bad review from her is just as useful because right. she's fucking nuts. Yeah. And, um, but there was a time when reviews meant a lot more than they mean now. And she built her reputation in the time when they meant more that's than that. True. I think the power of the press still exists up there in that little microcosm. But um, she, who I think is bisexual or she's gay or bisexual, she's one of the two. But she called Steve, who plays uh, Sajila's brother, it turns out. like at First, we think they're boyfriend and girlfriend. And she's a brown Indian woman and he's a ginger white guy. And it turns out that they're brother and sister. Uh, bringing up a lot of questions. and But she, who's bisexual, called Steve a fucking queer. And then, like, she actually said afterwards, like, the show, like, really affected her, like, personally. She started going and doing, uh, uh, what do you call it? Not mission work, uh, relief work in Africa. Really? Yeah. Like, she went, I, I'm a cunt. I can't believe I'm a cunt. Right. And she goes, and I can't believe that you're the one that pointed it out to me. And she, and she was really quite uncomfortable. Well, I with- mean, it's, it's that m- moment that I check myself constantly. And, and, and this may be what it triggered for her as well, but I always check it, which is when someone cuts you off in traffic and they are white, you, like, don't, your brain doesn't register a thought other than that. But if they are not, you go, oh, that you know, brown person or that yellow person or whatever cut. Like, even if Do it's you? Just, well, I mean, I, I think- don't because actually I think Australian drivers are the worst in the world. White Australians are the worst drivers in the fucking world. Driving may have been a bad example. I I mean, whenever anything happens. Yeah. Because, you know, so for example, or it's... it's If a black comedian's late. Right. 
black you comedians are like. Comedian life. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And like checking your brain when that thought, even if briefly, that thought goes, no, 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 no. You just recognize it this time because this person is yeah. less familiar than the familiar you see every day. And that's all it is. And letting that thought kind of process through your mind and recognizing that it wasn't like a racist thought. You weren't saying, hey, Asian people are bad drivers. You were going, in this one specific instance of the five bad driving incidences that have happened on this trip, I noticed that person because yeah, and trying to disassociate that thought with the next step of it, which is like all Asians are bad drivers, or that you know, I got black you comics mean. All, and the people all, all that are late, too self-assured you know? on that front never check themselves. Right, you don't check it ever. They don't check it. That's you, true. You think it doesn't exist? You're like, oh, well, I'm not right. I, I would say by saying it doesn't exist right. is definitely the most bigoted stance you right. can take because then you will never check yourself. Because also you that's going la, 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 la. Like yeah. you can't honestly say I see no races or I see no sexes or whatever. Our brains just process things that are not as common as being exceptional. It's like a coincidence. Like coincidence is just like it's coincidence. Like, but so people so often like, you know, think that these things are much more powerful than that. It's just the way that our brain puts together thoughts. You remember yes. things that are unusual. They prove that you- pigeons do it as well. Right. That they spot patterns. Right. And that actually coincidences are occurring all the time. That, uh, uh, what is it? Isn't that like basic chaotic theory? Well, there's that. And there are these patterns within nature and the world. But there's also an evolutionary biology, I believe, uh, kind of element to it, which is the idea that our brains don't can't process every thought that we need to do. So there to, you go. So yeah. to walk, for example, like essentially we know how to walk. So you don't have to send this message every time. Put this foot in front of this foot. But that, like your brain can pretty much do that without thinking about it because it's a normal pattern. But sometimes you'll trip. Right, like on a like a thing that isn't there because you're not concentrating a hundred percent on lifting up your foot and doing that because you need your brain for other things. Yeah. So that's why it's wide to I believe, and I'm no expert in this. I love passing this shit off as if like I know what I'm really talking it's, about. It's, it's so funny, so many comics, right. don't we? We we memorize some right. shit clever people say. Yeah. Here's something. Here's my. I think that's a Joe Rogan bit. Yeah. Isn't it? Here's the gist of what someone much more clever than me told me once. <laughs> And Neil deGrasse Tyson is everyone's first go-to because he makes it so palatable. Right. Neil deGrasse, here's Neil deGrasse Tyson. Watering down Neil deGrasse Tyson's watering down. Yeah. Hey, have you ever wanted the gist of what Neil deGrasse Tyson's about? Because I get, get to me at a party at one o'clock in the morning and I'll really give you a vague summary of what I remember of he, what he said. But, the idea is that the differences, the way why your brain spots differences, is differences are the things that it needs to be aware of, uh-huh. like like the yeah you know, bump in the road or whatever that means put up your foot. You have to concentrate right now on actually doing that. Uh-huh. So if things are the same, and the, if you you know, walk the same route every day and you do all those sort of things, basically your brain can go on autopilot because it actually just needs it and it only recognizes the the unusual patterns. So I th- I see your point. So. Yeah. So essentially that show was me trying to pick up a number of those moments, but with every, every taboo yeah. of race, sexuality, gender, and then taking every argument to its most illogical conclusion. <clears throat> and uh, so the reason we put it up free was then, turns oh. out I probably should have, looking at the, on, the way that it's spread online, uh-huh. and now that people have anonymity with their bigotry, it yeah. turns out I probably should have focused on the bigotries a bit more. I, I, maybe it's a bugbear in, bug in the show mind. you mean yeah because I suppose liberal there's a certain selfish selfishness to my stance often which is liberal pretense gets in my way 
may, way more often uh-huh. than outright bigotry does. Right. Um, because... You're a white man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, the funny thing is, it's now I've come out, like, on the show. Uh, I do a podcast called Dumb White Guy, where effectively I interview everyone from different races, sexualities, and genders to me, or uh, comedians of that type. And all the black comics keep on, like, saying... You, you know you're a black comic. You know you just want... Like, it's really apparent to everyone that I want to be a black comedian, but I don't want to be a black guy because that looks like a hassle. Right. <laughs> yeah, so you want all the advantages I of being black. I want all the black. comic license. Yeah, exactly. But I'll tell you what, when it comes uh, to getting pulled over by the cops, right. I am going to ride this 44-year-old white guy gravy train. I'd still like to get a taxi at midnight. Oh, it's sweet. Yeah. No, not only that, being 40. Right. Being 40-something is... Someone needs to tell everyone just how, like, that's, that's the shit. That's because no one ever doubts. Uh, I think what was, Doug Stanhope said it, didn't he, about no one ever doubts your intentions. And that must be remarkable to him because he's a fucking clusterfuck. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, wow, I'm not getting stopped at customs anymore. There was, like, in the, uh, from 1994 mm. to 2003, I never made it through customs without being completely searched. Right. And um, so, but it's interesting, isn't and it? And now like, I'm the guy that they conspire with. You never, you never get that like an insight into it too much. But um, uh, there was an Australian politician, a Middle Eastern Australian politician, literally two days ago, who went to America, like on, like you know, on a political trip, and got the full, like you know, wow, you know, how did you get an Australian passport? Where are you guys from? Blah blah blah. And you're like, oh yeah, because that's because like she's a politician here in Australia. It's not like she. I mean, again, Have if it's seen, happening to her... We watched that thing yesterday. We've got to show him that. The, 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 the North Korean introduction to Donald oh, Trump. Oh, the Donald Trump. Oh, yeah, I saw it. It's amazing, right? The, with the little girls? Yes. And how funny is it when they go to do the lift and they just, like, half pick her up? I'm, but listen to the sound of it and, and the auto-tuning and the actual tune, and I'm pretty sure you could... It's very North Korean. Oh, it, well, the whole thing... Like, the whole Trump thing's North Korean. Like, That's let's true. be honest. Like, I've, I've been saying it's this a lot. Comic value. America has turned into America the movie. This is like the plot from a movie you would be satirizing. Like, they even asked us before, they said, how come American satire is so much better than British? And it's like, because you're a more preposterous country. Oh, you are so much easier to satirize. satirize. Trump, is, the, Trump running for president, if, if you have a satirical news comedy show, you can't get 20 minutes out of that every day. Uh, every day. Fucking quit. I mean, honestly. As a jumping off point, that's incre- a reality star. We let Reagan slide. I mean, but this is the interesting thing when we're talking about offense. Like, the interesting thing to me is, like, he has, like, picked out... A- if you want to really talk about the bigotry that your that piece got edited tapped into... Yes. Like, Trump's the same. Because yes. he has tapped into bigotry in a way that everything he's said... Like, he's been... I mean, he, he's honestly, like, you putting together a show where he's like, who can I go after? Like, basically, he's like, I'm going after disabled people. I'm saying Mexicans are rapists. Like, yes. no Muslims are coming into the country. But, like, unless there's a big reveal... <laughs> Uh, yeah. Unless there's a twist in his show as the well. The Venturian candidate <laughs> theory that everyone's throwing out there. Well, I would argue as well that anytime anyone comes to me about like talking about being offensive and so on, I would argue them. I would defend the morality behind everything I do ever. Uh-huh. Like if I do rape, I want to make a rape survivor laugh. Uh-huh. I even once set out to do that. Yeah. Uh, simply, uh, I, I won't get bogged down uh, too much into the reasons why, but I. Uh, uh, I, I I enjoy revenge laughs. Right. Uh, and and yeah. for some reason, you play to your strengths. And I'm not good at set up punchline. What I seem to be good at 
is I can make people that have had bad things happen laugh. Uh-huh. Right? It's, it's more without... Uh, I hate the term healing comedy, but for a shorthand... People do describe it that way. So you're doing healing comedy now. So no, fuck Brendan you. Burns does Shut healing up. comedy. No, no, I'm just. I'm going to call this episode. <laughs> I'm going to call this episode healing comedy. The healing comedy of Brendan Burns. My That's argue- your next special. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan makes it better. <laughs> That's actually really tempting. Brendan makes it better. Uh, but there are people that would say, you know, you shouldn't talk about. Rape or, uh-huh. or, or, or do rape jokes. And I even set out and said I wanted to do a routine that made a rape survivor laugh. And there's a reason for it, and it's a selfish reason. But it's also particularly if you're doing festivals and you're doing listening to yourself self-talk for a month. Sure. It's very easy to get self-absorbed and, and a bit self-important. Uh-huh. And when I seem to always have that aim in a show and someone comes up to me afterwards and goes like, I'm a rape survivor and this is the first time I've laughed about it, it just takes me out of myself. Oh, I for mean, a bit, and it also for a single, just for a single moment, I don't feel like the chuckle hooker. And then you lay your hands on them and say, "You've been here." <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> oh, I led with my chin. I really led with my chin there. I deserve all of this. <laughs> Fuck. No, I mean, I like uh, the bigotry thing was really interesting. How did you first find out? Did, were you aware of it early on, or had it gathered some momentum it's by the time? It's got 15 that- million views and then some UKIP voters, which, uh, to give people a point of reference, it's like this crazy right wing uh, get them all out party. Uh, if people are listening in Australia, it's, the, the, I suppose, their version of the Maverick MP yeah. title, which is uh, code for colossal racist. Yeah, basically. You're Pauline Hanson or you're Jackie Lambie or you're... Uh, There's one every 15 reclaim years. Australia at the moment, you know. It's one, once every 15 years a, a Maverick MP pops up. and they Remember Joe Bielke-Peterson? Yep. He was a Maverick MP. He's basically, yeah, anytime you... It's like colourful racing identity. It yeah. means criminal. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's very much that same thing in politics. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> that was always my favourite one in the papers. If someone was the, described as a colourful racing identity, you're always like, oh, he's like a proper criminal. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, like, so much stuff was swept up, like, in, in Western Australia in particular. Like, I remember in the 70s and 80s, that the number one death of uh, Aboriginals, uh, Aboriginal youth was custody. Uh-huh. Like, talk about code. I mean, it's... They re- said they died of custody. Right. What? Yeah. Like, or we locked him up and he hung him up by his... You know, they don't, or you don't understand the spiritual people, they don't like being locked up. Yeah. They don't like being hung by their belt buckle too much either, mate. No. But the, 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 the way that they worked around that, and, uh, and it's not until you step outside the looking glass that you go, holy shit. Like, when you were in Australia... Mate, the most terrible thing about it is that, like, not that much has changed. Yes, so that's what I was about like, to ask. Where I mean, is Australia now? Well, particularly in relationship with our Indigenous people, not that much has changed. Like, what the Adam Goods football thing, I don't know if you saw this. Did you see this? Was this the guy that kicked the kid out? <laughs> yeah. He so, was cool as fuck. So, Adam Goods, uh, basically, he's, I think, seventh uh, highest games in the history of the AFL. He's an Indigenous player who um, uh, was not drafted high in the draft, was not meant to be a superstar. 
yep. went on to win two Brownlow medals, which is the you know yep. the best player in the competition. I think he was all Australian like five or six times. He he played like three different positions. He will go down as being one of the absolute legends of the game forever and ever. Like one of the probably top 10, 20 greatest players who have ever played this game. Yeah. In a country where uh, sport, particularly AFL football or NRL, is probably the only job that an Indigenous person in the year 2015 can aspire to be the best person and best paid person in their job. Think about it. There is no other industry in Australia where as an Indigenous person you can realistically aspire to go, I could be you know, one of the really? best paid players and one of the best you know, in this industry. I mean, I'm sure there are, but not publicly and not to the extent that like sport has like enabled indigenous people sport should be so proud of what it's done in some ways you know way ahead of other industries when it comes to you know your yeah, support and celebration of the indigenous people the afl has an indigenous round every year where they celebrate the heritage and culture of the indigenous people yeah in that round uh a girl called adam goods uh, an ape it was in the indigenous Did you make round. Monkey noises or something no it was, and she was young. She was like forty. This is where it got more complicated than it needed to be, because of course he didn't know while he was playing who it was who'd screamed out "ape." He just pointed at the crowd where the thing came from. It later turned out that she was fourteen, you know. But he said straight after the game, he said, "Please don't crucify this girl." You know, like she's the face of the racism, but you know these ideas don't come from her. You That's know. what he said. He said today, what was it in two thousand and fourteen? I discovered the face of racism, and it's a, yeah. and I'm shocked and horrified to see that it's a fourteen year old girl, right? Yeah, and and where we are with how we debate this thing is that led to him being booed at games constantly, pretty much from then on. He was named Are you serious. A, he was named Australian of the Year. He was named Australian of the Year for his work in the Indigenous community and his work like celebrating football and all those sort of things. Now, firstly, I would honestly say they shouldn't have named him Australian of the Year while he was playing. Because I think if you name someone Australian here within the context of a tribal sport, you're always starting to ask for, you know, everyone should be able to be behind the Australian year. And it's hard if you barrack for a team someone's playing against in that moment right. to not let tribalism go into it. But I think you should have taken it because if someone offers you the opportunity to speak up for your people, your people who die, you know, 20 years younger or more than average Australians who are more likely to go to jail than they are to go to university. Yeah. Of course you take that opportunity to speak for your people. And of course you should speak for your people. And he did. Uh, he didn't say anything that wasn't true, but of course Australia likes how and what a lot of Australians wanted from him was like, you're Australian a year. We're all cool now. Right. Right. That's what that's what Australians wanted. Look at what you can do in Australia. Adam Goods like won the Brownlow and he's Australian of the Year, and so shut the fuck let's up. Let's just that's it. Even, I do actually, even it's, now that community it's staggering again from outside the looking glass, and you come back and when you live in it, you don't realise it because when you're a kid growing up, all you think is all you see is your perspective, and that is. I understand the fear. I remember as a 14-year-old kid, if I went into the city, I had to bring cigarettes and money. Right. Because a fully grown Aboriginal man was going to punch me in the head if I didn't give him one of those things. Right. That's what I didn't, as a child, understand how disenfranchised that community was until I went overseas and came back. I remember like around about the time in my teen years when I heard on the news, and maybe just I've always like wanted to be a comedian. So that I think your bullshit, your, your 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 bullshit monitor is fairly well attuned. And I remember the first time I heard number one death is custody, and I thought it's the first time I I remember recognizing bullshit in the media of just well what like I remember the 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 the, the power of semantics of whitewashing something, 
And then, uh, like earlier this year, Luke and I did a travel podcast across the the the, uh, the north of Australia, from the wild west of the northwest of the Kimberleys, and we kind of ended up in a bit of a race against time to get to uh, Cairns the day before Christmas. And what people internationally don't understand is anything in Australia that reeks of effort is progress. Right. Uh, and and contextually, some things that would be horrifying elsewhere are actually a very liberal outlook. Uh, for instance, we were in Broome and there was a queue for the taxi and there was a, an, a, an Aboriginal family and there was a pregnant woman and they were in front of us in the queue. And a cab pulled up and she said, uh, and they went to go and get in and the cabbie went, no, it was a lady cabbie. And she goes, no, no, I'm not taking you. And then she goes, come in, boys. And we immediately went, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are they before us? Uh, sorry, they were here yeah. ages before us. What do, what, what's going on here? And she goes, get in and I'll tell you. Right? And so at first I was like, but it was hot out. And I'm only so liberal. Uh-huh. And <laughs> well, she was going to drive off otherwise. It was, it was, it was, it was hot. <laughs> I'm not, no, you, you, what you said is like, I need to understand more about yeah, this Yeah, my politically correct I'm going to get in there. Yeah, I'm going to get in on... on I'm going to get in that air conditioned. I'm, and on this journey to my hotel, yeah. I am going to really make a point. <laughs> Look, I'm intrepid. I know how to make a stance, Will. <laughs> yeah. I know how to make a stance. You're like Louis Thoreau. Yeah. You were like, you know what you thought? You thought, I can heal this woman. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> So we get in the car and we, and we just straight away, we get into it and we go, what's going on there? Uh-huh. And she said, and anywhere else in the world, this would be horrifying. Yeah. But this was woman was actually a liberal. Oh, by the way, by, when I say liberal, I mean left wing. Yeah. Uh, I think people know what you mean. Do, but do uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, I do a lot of this podcast in America. Okay. And I, you know, I, I talk about liberal a lot and small L liberal, you know, so if people know what you mean. Right. Yes. And so I said, what the fuck went on there? And she goes, oh, listen, you know what? Some cabbies will just take any old fare, but that woman's pregnant and they're going on a grog run. And I went, what a grog run, by the way, means they're going to the bottle shop. Uh-huh. And I was like, how do you, you know, how dare you make that presumption? And she's like, no, they phoned it. Right. They phoned it in. We know. And she goes, look at her family. And she just goes, I'm sorry, but there's enough alcoholism in that community. And I'm not willing to contribute it to it. And, and she says, some cabbies, you know, they're scum. They'll just take the money. Right. And anywhere else you would go like, what? How can you, you know, how can you make that presumption? How can you? But she is actually a huge lefty. In, right. in Broome. So the, she is basically, in Broome, she is a massive, massive lefty. Yeah. You I know, don't, I don't know how far to lefty you need to be to be a massive lefty in Broome. But. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's, she's not willing to No, but I, but this, is, this is the whole point about judging people's uh, intentions, but also the fuller story before you make a, you know, a, a snap judgment about the, the idea. horrifying. Right. Because you'd see that one incident and you haven't asked the next question of, is there more to this? Is there another reason for what has just happened rather than what I just think that has just happened, right? Yes. So, and if you hadn't got in that cab, you would have gone away thinking that was the case and that would have been your impression of like, oh, remember the one time I was in Broome? Oh, no, and they the would not even take that like, yes. you know, family as you walk home hot, getting grumpier. <laughs> <laughs> it was Broome in this January as well. So, but the, <laughs> the interesting thing about that to me is... The, we're, what we're looking at is the end consequence where these things like that Aboriginal man who, you know, you were scared of, like, you know, beating you up for, you know, the cigarettes and alcohol money or these people who are going to the pub and whatever. Like, this is what 
people use to be able to keep people going, well, look, you know, they've had all these opportunities and look what they're doing with them sort of thing. Rather than looking at the idea that for 200 years, our government has made a series of like choices on behalf of these people, not asking I them. I do believe they get screwed by the left and the right. Well, they have been screwed by white Australians since white Australians arrived, often with good intentions. But there is no doubt if you look back at the choices that are made. And again, I'm not even saying that the people at the time were necessarily thinking that they were doing the wrong thing sometimes. Sometimes people thought they were doing the absolute right thing. But we have made a serious mistake in how that these were people who had defined themselves for 60,000 years and had a way of life. And we rocked up and went, hey, you have to live like us. And then when they couldn't, like when when they weren't equipped for that, did not give them any time to like make their own choices about how they want to live. But B, be truly incorporated into the fabric of our country. like I saw someone write a letter to the fucking paper the other day because we've talked a lot in Australia about re- replacing the Union Jack in the corner with the Aboriginal flag. And I think that would probably be a nice kind of compromise position. Like, Anything you know, that right? reeks of effort. Right. Anything that suggests that's... Bill Bryson put it so well I mean, uh, in his book about uh, Down Under. And he said, all I can say is, I don't know. I don't know. All I can say is do more, try harder, start now. Right. If that was Australia's slogan, the sorry day. Yeah. Right. And we, to the rest of the world, that looks so condescending. Yeah. But they don't understand that the Aboriginal community was so cool when they said, what What do you want? What do you want? An apology would be nice. Yeah. And the Prime Minister's like, fuck off, I'm not doing that. And then when the next guy does, to the rest of the world, they're like, what? What? But you have to understand that it reeks of effort, of acknowledgement. Like even earlier when I said, I remember the fear as a child. Yeah. There are Australians that would be horrified that I'm admitting that. I'm admitting that. No, but that's but, but without but that's it, what we were saying before. How do you just spell it? about the po- point of people who go it doesn't exist or you're horrified to say that we can't. That's happening. Yeah. These people are in these unfortunate circumstances. That family, oh, let's believe that that, you know, that woman was telling the truth and this story is absolutely how it is. That woman was going because these people have been, you know, systematically like, you know, thrown out of the system and but also... Staggering to me that it's the world's oldest culture and no one wants to talk about it. And But no one wants to celebrate it because we've done such a job of fucking it up that we can't feel comfortable like having it as part of our national... If we could incorporate, if you want to talk about Australia going for because this is the thing I always ask people well do you want it to just keep going like it's going because here's we have this thing called closing the gap and guess what every year when they do the report we're not closing the fucking gap they're going to have to stop calling it closing the gap because like we're, it's useless like we're not people the life expectancies the you know the the domestic violence rates all these sort of things are a worldwide disgrace like yeah. you know it's a worldwide disgrace our relationship with our indigenous people and then this an extra level of racism this adam good scene this like public face of like booing this guy at the footy i had a guy like say to me on facebook the other day that he's going to stop coming and see my shows from perth he uh, he came and saw my show and my su- i don't know him my su- no but my support act he did such an eastern state thing right i should i should contextualize that he I'm from Perth, yeah. and often, no matter how much I fucking am on the international scene, <laughs> I mean, I'm working in a different culture right. every other day of my life, but he still did the hand yeah. Eastern States thing <laughs> at me and went, from Perth? Yeah, from Perth. One of yours. <laughs> That's true. I a personality. Yeah. Uh, so sorry, carry on. Uh, Justin Hamilton, who was doing support for me, did an Adam Goods bit, and this guy... 
Like when on Facebook to go, well, I'm never going to see you again if you have like guys who are doing pro Adam Goods things like before you got, he was like going, I've never seen you again because your support act said something that I don't agree with. And I, I spent a good amount of time telling him how happy I was about that. But like, it's crazy the levels of racism that we still have. You know, even the people who think we've dealt with, the people who think they've dealt with like the racism in Australia to do with indigenous people, I would put forward most of them are ignoring it in the yeah. same way as we ignore the asylum seeker thing. Because if you're, if well, you, re- isn't there, if you is really, the most racist thing you can if do. you really think about it, if you're, if you're kind of glad that it's someone else's problem and you don't have to actually be confronted by it, yeah. then you're part of the problem. You've got to actually at least like force yourself to read the articles about the child abuse in the prison camps we're keeping these people in or the rates of suicide or this. So we started with threesomes and we've got pretty dark. <laughs> That's pretty much every hour. You know what? If we're plugging my ticket sales, that's pretty much every hour I ever do. It'll start with threesomes and end with some form of genocide. <laughs> that's that's my general narrative arc. <laughs> I like that you're surprised, and I'm like, another day at the office, brother. Yeah, I was always getting here. Well, he's like, when are we going to get to the genocide? <laughs> I don't even... Uh, like- I, just, I just think moving forward as a country, we are at a point right now where we have to decide to genuinely do something about it or that we, it is going to be a black stain on us that we have to ignore you know be a good forevermore. Start? You know what would be a good start? Just a suggestion. Like every Australian overseas always says to me, why don't you know when Australia Day is? Right. And I'm like, Germans don't have an Auschwitz Day. Right. I mean, even in the US where they're really pushing some rather bigoted buttons, have now finally acknowledged that the Confederate flag is a bit fucked up. Right. Even Thanksgiving is still something that they turned into something good. That it's people get together with their families and it's the one time of year that they see one another and they eat their brains out. And okay, so even Thanksgiving's a bit fucked up. At least they've turned it into something good. Australia Day isn't anything good. Australia Day is people get drunk, they punch each other in the street. I don't think it's really uh, about family or community or anything. It's our fucking Auschwitz Day. Right. And I genuinely... And I'm not a politically correct douchebag. I'm not... You know, no one's ever, ever accused me of being Mr. PC. But I have never celebrated it. I've never bothered to remember. I think it's coming up, is it? Yeah, it's I'm, a, I, I'm, I'm so always it's, having to be reminded about it. Yeah, well, you're. I mean, so the indigenous people uh, call it Invasion Day, which is fair enough, um, because it was. Uh, it's January 26th, and I've said this several times before. If we want to have a national day, yeah. then it's fine. We can have one. It's just not that day. Like it's it's the equivalent of having your wedding to your new wife on the day that your new wife killed your old wife and expecting the kids to be cool with that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, That's a good joke. Right, it's not... That's a good joke. Well, okay, I'm going to cut that out and put it in my act. Oh, uh, is it not in your act? No, but you it could Seriously, be. that was a perfectly perfectly formed joke. Right, thank you. That's an opener. <laughs> I thought you were doing a bit. That was so good. That was a bit. I thought it was a bit. No. You really? Are you fucking I, with me? No, I promise. Like, to the point where you've said that's a good bit where I now literally am sad that I've wasted it on the podcast. <laughs> so, oh, isn't it a motherfucker? <laughs> like, the thing is, I, I've had to adapt to people listening. And now, like, sometimes I will come up with a premise on the show uh-huh. and I'll start, like, uh, 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 talking about it, uh, uh, like, live, and the audience will be like, yeah, 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 we know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah we know. Carry on. <laughs> 
Like they really just, they speed you up. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, well, you've heard that bit. I like, I don't mind that though. I like uh, sometimes if someone listens to the podcast, like often I'll get like one bit or one premise or whatever out of like two hours of like something That's else and they get the context. And you Say know, the they get all again? the. It's a bit like. Uh, it's a great analogy. Hang on, let, let's get there again. It, it uh, it's a bit like having the wedding to your new wife. I didn't word it perfectly. Uh, it the anniversary of your wedding to your new wife, but you killed the last wife and expect your kids to be cool with Yeah. It. That's really, fu- that's a funny joke. Well, I don't know if it really checks out as a good analogy, but it's like it sounds. Yes, it does. It's one of those analogies that's where perfect. You, you sounds expecting like expecting your kids to it, be cool. With it's it. one where it sounds like it's, it's, you know, sometimes it just sounds like it's right, as opposed to I think if you really started assigning the people in there, it doesn't quite work as an analogy, but it what, sounds like an analogy. What joke? It's analogish. <laughs> yeah, what joke upon analysis makes sense? I mean, it's a good point. It sounds like a joke. Sometimes people like come up to me afterwards and they'll be like, you know what, I, I don't quite agree with that. And I'm yeah. like, I don't agree with half of oh, it. Oh, mate. I'm just letting my crazy morons speak. Yeah, here's what I think. This is, or maybe, right no, now. feel. Yeah, feel. Here's what I feel. Yeah. I think uh, there was a very, there was a long period of time, as many of us are in our 30s, very preoccupied with what I thought. Uh-huh. And now as I get older... Like sometimes you learn to let go of outcome, don't you? Like you've really gone through a transformation. Correct me if I'm wrong. Right? We, I know we're running a bit long here. That's all right. Whatever. I mean, I have no time limit. Oh, cool. And it's fine. But um, I always thought from the outside looking in, I thought you were a guy that worked very broad. Uh, and then I would look at your audience and there was these teenage, these teenage uh-huh. girls. I thought you were like a Russell Howard type. Uh-huh. And then um, you started doing set list. And I'm very good friends with Troy and Prevenz who run that. And they're like, this, this Will Anderson's an edgy motherfucker. And I was like, really? Is he? And I, I didn't know that that's what you did at all. And then I started watching Gruen Transfer and I was like, I had completely, you know what I did? I labelled, I tarred you with the same brush that people used to give me. Well, you, no, Just because you were cute. You know, you judged me by my audience. I, my, my, my big philosophy was always, and like genuinely from the start, and I'm unashamed of this when it comes to my stand-up, that I, didn't, I thought that, that you could be popular and good. Like I just didn't think, I never thought that you had to give away anything to be, like have a broad okay, audience. I don't think you work anywhere near as broad as I thought you did. Or have not, you just filtered the audience over the years? No, 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 no. Or has but, America but changed my, you? No, no, no. My, no I, but I think that I've always had... I mean, look, I came through Triple J. So you start with actually that audience, which is like big, actually expects you to be... If you'd done like what you consider to be broad stuff when you're building that audience, they wouldn't have actually enjoyed that. There is actually quite a broad... Particularly in Australia, it's much like your BBC audience, I'd say, in, 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 in the UK. Oh, and I'm not equating broad with bad either. <laughs> No, but I'm just saying that there are, in Australia, there's probably a couple of different broads. And one of them, if you're lucky enough, if you come through the ABC system, A, those people go and see shows. Like yeah. Husey always says it all the time. He goes, those ABC people, they come and see shows. And they do. They're they, ticket buying people. They're ticket buying people. And secondly... Channel 10, they've got kids and they stay at home. Right. right? They're in the suburbs. They don't want to come in. Gotcha. They already see you on the telly. You know, whereas the ABC people will come out and see shows. So it lets you have lots of people at your shows for a start. Secondly, I was lucky at the time when the things that on television made me broke, like that that broke me, were things like... It made me broke. I was broke. (laughs) They made me not quite as broke, which is nice. Um, Were Triple J and Good News Week, which were both shows that rewarded you at least being smart in some sense. You know, you needed to be topical. You needed to be up to date. You needed to have like what people would consider an alternative perspective on the mainstream. But 
What you can do when you are those things is then only talk to those people if you want. You know, you can become a person who preaches entirely to the choir. Yeah. And that just wasn't always, that wasn't what I was interested in. Yeah, I hear you. The people that I'm interested, I was like, why can't we talk about this stuff but to everyone? Everyone talks shit about Mrs. Brown Boy, Mrs. Brown's Boys. Do they get that show in Australia? Oh, and it's massive. And it's, like, okay, so yeah. it's huge. Yeah. It's really broad. I don't quite understand it. No. I don't see what's happening. It's a it's a guy in a dress. Yeah, it's it's kind of uh, almost like old music hall style comedy. Uh, I mean, sometimes they even look look at the camera and stuff, right? They yeah, mug I think at so. the camera. It's, it's and, I mean, I've not, I've not seen it, so I am really doing that. I've <laughs> seen about five minutes of it, and I was like, "What's happening?" Yeah, baffled, uh-huh. killing. It's crushing. Mm. But then, when the Irish um, agenda election, whatever it was, what was it called again? You're actually very well informed, aren't you? Do you know when they were voting on gay marriage? Okay, I know what you mean. Okay, he went and did a speech that went viral, basically as Mrs. Brown. So it was Brendan O'Carroll, and he was saying there was a time when they wouldn't let black people marry, or black people vote, or let women vote. And then everyone had to grow up a little bit. And I think that's all you have to do, is just grow up a little bit. And then he goes at the very end, so, you know... Uh, and there's a gay character, a very camp gay character in the uh-huh. show. And he goes, I wouldn't want my Cedric to not, or whatever he's called, yeah. to uh-huh. not know love the same way I've known love. So perhaps we could all just grow up a little bit and vote otherwise. Went viral. And I honestly think that guy working broad has way more power than a thousand Stuart Lees. Right. But the thing that I would say about that, and I absolutely agree with you, is hoping that they then use that power. Yes. So it's that, it's that thing where, and I've always said this about... Well, like, he picked his moment, didn't You know he? when people talk about... And, con- and they, they, they turned out in record numbers. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted. Con- no, no, that's fine. No, because uh, I'm totally on board with what you're saying here. But like it's um, that idea of... And you would have heard this so often, uh, and you may have a different opinion to me, but uh, my opinion is about people say, oh, comedy can change people's minds. I... I don't think that's true. And here's, I'll explain what I think can happen. I don't think you, comedy most often reinforces existing prejudice. However, there is a small percentage of people who are, who would believe what you believe, but haven't had the door open to them to get to that right place yet. Or what you say out loud in their head actually makes sense. They just haven't heard anyone say it out loud yet so that they can cling on to that sort of life raft of an idea. There is a small percentage of your audience who don't believe what you believe, but could believe what you believe, who you can open a door for. If you open the door in the right way, they can then go, hey, and I've got that feedback over the years. People saying, hey, you know, like whether it was marriage equality or asylum seekers or whatever, people going, I had a different opinion and I came and saw the show and I thought, hang on, what are you saying makes more... I don't think I'd change that person's mind. I think that person would have at some stage got to there because that's where their brain was if going. If you address but you the can... fear. Right. The, the, with the UKIP voters, when they turned up, I thought, now do I attack this guy? And I thought, why not address the fear? Right. Rather than judging, because that's what they do... You know, when there are these groups of like, keep Australia fucking white or whatever, or, or UKIP of get the bastards out, right? Those people are frightened and they're in a shell and they're... And they're, and, and they're and and the, and the loudest voices, these political parties that 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 expel, you know, just almost spout these sentiments. They just confirm that fear. But on the other side as well, the left are going, "You're wrong and evil, right?" All that does is feed that fire. Right. And the best way to get the best way thought, to get someone to reinforce their prejudice is tell them they're an idiot. 
people, yeah. people's brains and the way they work up, if you tell me I'm wrong, my first instinct is always to double down on my belief, not to go, oh, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Like if you yell at me. You yeah. know, my first instinct is always to double my belief in what I have. The, and that's why I hate the way the media is now, where they think we have debates on TV, but they've got the two people with the two most extreme positions and yes. then they just yell at each other. Neither it's like, oh, haven't we broadened people's minds? No, no. You've given two hateful people a platform. Right, to yell at each other and go nowhere. You've just torn people further apart, really. Well, taught me back through the the um, what's the, what's the guy's name again? The Australian of the Year, the Adam Goods. Goods. Adam Goods, because from the outside looking in, right, all I could do research wise was look at Australian media, and Australian media was all very class act, top bloke, very well received. Yep. Right, but. So they weren't then representing the reality uh, no, of I him mean, being booed? I, I mean, was that widely reported, him yeah, being booed? Yeah, it was. And, but the other thing was, what that happens with these sort of things is the first reaction is everyone, yes. But we live in this world now where the next reaction is all the think pieces and hot takes on, you know, why the girl's really the victim and why he shouldn't, you know, he was a bully and why, you know, like, hey, right. you know, he should be grateful, you know, like he's Australian of the Year and he's in this position and all but he But didn't does. he take her to lunch and <laughs> sit down with her and... and I mean, he did everything... He wanted to address the fear. I mean... The the, the, the most hilarious thing about it is that this, things start getting re- it's like well remember he yelled at that kid and well, he, well she was 14 by the way like you know and oh well she got dragged out of the gr- yeah, she got- I bet you've made that defence in the past <laughs> She got dragged out. <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> that there is nothing. I bet you've healed your fair share of fucking. Uh, there's a, nothing, nothing awkward coming up in my past, Brendan. I'm, no. very, I'm very like even when Bowie died, you know, and uh, you know, obviously one of the greatest artists of all time. There was a couple of those like you know teenage. Uh, Let's not forget. Know, yeah, stories, and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm never uh, sympathizer for a while as well, wasn't he? Hang on, was he? Uh, during those druggy years, right. yeah, like Rob Newman yeah. was like, let's not forget. And I was like, Rob Newman? Right. Do you really want to play the let's not forget game? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we can get obsessed with where people have been um, uh, uh, rather than looking at where they ended up a lot of the time as well. You know, with politicians and stuff, people will go back 20 or 30 years to find something to like, well, what's he like now? What's his opinion on this right now? Tell me where that is. But yeah, um, sorry, the, the whole point of it was that you suddenly get this underground of like backlash against Adam Goods, you gotcha. know, and the people who have that level of, you know, that they do think of Indigenous people as being problematic rather than, like he did that classic thing of like, we, we like Indigenous people as long as they're not reminding us of uncomfortable things about the Indigenous story. Like people suddenly started doing that sort of thing like, well, why can't he be like Cyril Rioli, who's another, you know, brilliantly, like no one... The big argument was always like, well, no one boos Cyril and he's like black, so we can't be racist. Oh, you know hell. what I mean? And it's like, well, no. No because, one boos Cyril. Because Cyril doesn't say, unco- like when he's doing interviews, doesn't keep bringing up problematic and uncomfortable truths about his people you that we want to hear. So remarkable That's why we're booing that them. That culture is, uh, I mean, we don't even know how old it is, but anthropologically and geographically and geometrically, not geometrically, geologically, uh, a lot of their stories have been proven to uh, be fruit, to, to be true. Like their, their their tales of like the Great Barrier Reef and where it used to be, and, and the fact that like none of it's written down and it's passed on from generation to generation. But actually, uh, geologists have proven a lot of their folk tales, and the fact that the, their culture is just passed on from gener- generation to generation is not written down anywhere. 
That's fucking incredible. I mean, that always reminded me That's of, incredible. But that oral, like that oral recollection of things and the, the telling of stories. And this is why when white people came in and don't have that way of communicating or telling things, they're like, well, you know, th- this is a primitive culture. No, they were a different culture. A culture would manage to survive on the world's largest continent and inhabitable continent. They invented pantheism uh, and... Uh, which is kind of like a hippy-dippy theological belief, but they invented pantheism long before anyone ever knew that it even existed. Uh, and as botanists and horticulturalists, second to none, uh, and it, it takes a couple of thousand years for a community to be able to handle alcohol. And I say that as a person who can't, you know, I'm, I'm a sober person and I'm, I'm someone that can't drink. And it takes thousands of years for... And, and you do up, go up north and it, it, you find... The, the separatism there is immense, but you, uh, someone with empathy is a very rare beast. Right. But also, just by the way, like, there's an ice scourge in Australia at the moment, like, you know, crystal meth, like, right. you know. And because people have in, introduced a drug to a culture where nobody's, like, you know, bodies and minds are, like, you know, set oh, up I'm for the culture. Th- I thought if it was you, still petrol sniffing. Like. Yeah. But if you take anything into a culture that isn't, like, yeah. up to date, people will have problems with it. Yeah. Like that's just a story that has been told throughout the world. It I happened mean, with the I, indigenous I people so. in North America. It's happened with indigenous people pretty much everywhere. Is these white people rock up with heaps of poisons <laughs> <laughs> and then go, what, you can't handle these poisons? <laughs> <laughs> well, neither can we. No, and we've, been, we, and we've been building up a tolerance to these poisons for hundreds of years. But you can't handle your poison? I remember finding Look at this bloke, mate, can't handle his poison. Well, so much is... is, is uh, I mean, when it comes to liberal douchebaggery, so much is around semantics. And I remember finding it so jarring uh, that, that when I was in the Northwest and I said, and I was looking around and, and <laughs> God, where were we? We're in hell on earth. It was some real shithole. And there was a, uh, there was a bulldog with a smashed in face. Uh-huh. Uh, that was what we saw on day one. And, uh, and we asked someone, is there like a lot of ice? Is there like an ice problem here? Mm. And he goes, no, ice is a white man's drug. It's all petrol sniffing here. <laughs> and just hearing white man's drug. Oh. And like, I was like, wow, you really talk like that. Holy yeah. shit. Um, but in, 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 in vast contrast, I remember I was in the, uh, years ago, I was uh, touring South Africa and I was in the townships. Uh, and because I knew a bunch of black comedians, we were allowed to go to areas that you, you, all I can say is if you go to the townships, you go to the witch doctors, never touch the monkey's head. Okay. <laughs> this is a bit of advice. All right. People aren't happy if you touch the monkey's just head. Just as a general a bit of just, advice, just I won't a, randomly touch a monkey's don't head. Don't touch the monkey's head. If right. you go to the witch doctors, okay. don't touch the head. Good advice. They, they freak out. I didn't know. I'm like, look at this. Right. And it was, Okay. But I was there with Typical, this... typical you though. Straight <laughs> oh, in. Like, straight onto the monkey's head. Give us a go on the monkey's head. Nothing yeah. better than being in a foreign country picking up a rare monkey's head. I think it's the equivalent of going to someone's house for the first time and yeah. opening their fridge. Just going, yeah. Just <laughs> going in, having a look around their I'm stuff. I'm a fridge opener. Are you yeah. a fridge opener? Uh, you didn't when you came here. No, I don't think I am. I don't think I would presume to open somebody else's fridge. I, I, I did that for a long time. I think I've had to check it. Anyway, this woman that was showing I like us around. It. I like I it. I don't want you to stop. Keep uh, doing that. And keep doing the yeah. fridge opening doing and the touching fridge the monkey's head. I like it, yeah. And this woman, she was a white lady. She was a white South African lady. And she had built schools there. She mm-hmm. bought them medicine. She gave them plumbing. She did more for the black community than I ever will. Yeah. Right, and yet she then goes, 
in his thick South African accent. What's that little boy's name? Uh, what is it again? Uh, that coon boy. What is his name? And she goes, and she says, and this is her version of political correctness. Uh-huh. And she goes, the little coon boy. She goes, I'm not going to say the K word. I hate that word. That word will never pass my lips. Uh-huh. And I was nearly about to say, well, liberal white dickhead, he was in the back seat, like, well, I think you're fine, madam. The coon is actually, you're a racist. No, right. and then she's the world's least racist yeah. woman. And then she would have gone, and you're from a country originally that still has a cheese called coon. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, I wouldn't even say that in the supermarket. Well, little, no, and it's the name of the cheese. I'm Foreigners like, do freak out. Can we not just be done with that? Well, everyone know. pretends that they don't know. Can we just, yeah, but we know. I had Can an we idea just for changing just change Australia it a bit? I had a good date. I did have a good date. Oh, so uh, uh, let's go back to that because we'll finish on the Australia Day thing and we'll plug your gigs and we'll do all that. But um, I, I want to just quickly talk to you about that, that idea of the difference between this woman, because this is where it gets complicated and interesting in some ways, is if you just on your moral high ground, you could be like, well, I would never say that word. So I'm a better person yeah. when it comes to race matters than this woman is, right? Yes. But... But you're not doing anything for the community Thank you. in the way that she is actually practically doing things for the community. So in a practical sense, I'm sure those people are willing to be like, you know what? Well, I'm sure I'm sure they prefer that she didn't. But if they got the two choices, they're like, look, Brendan won't ever call you uh, <laughs> the, the C word, but he's going to do fuck all for you. Uh, whereas Brenda... Oh, she's aware of words. She yeah. doesn't know that Coon is racist. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't know that Coon yeah, is racist. Yeah, but that's what I mean. They're like, says the K look, word. Yeah, the woman who uh, built us our house, occasionally yeah. she's going to say a word that she doesn't think is racist <laughs> but she built the house so we're gonna brendan's gonna do nothing for us to be but honest trust me, in south africa it's all about the kaffir yeah right it's everything else their, everything yeah. else is fine yeah but you identify if you say k if you say the yeah. k word that's fucking a gunfight right that's because that's that that is the word used by the uh you know, the, the Dutch that first moved in. It's a Dutch word. Right. And it's the, the Dutch Afrikaans who were the... Fuck. They are the scariest motherfuckers on the planet. The Dutch. Oh, the Dutch. No, Dutch Afrikaans. Those people, they don't get... Well, look at what they took over. Yeah. And with a couple of hundred of them. Yeah. They, they, yeah. They've still got pitchforks. Right. They are bad motherfuckers. We got the plane. It was me and a bunch of black comics. We got the plane from, uh, uh, from Holland to South Africa. Uh-huh. And we were the, uh, I was sitting there with like, uh, it, was one of the, it was their second comedy festival. It was one of the rare occasions where it was like half white comics, half black comics. Right. And we were just looking with the black comics going, is anyone else noticing what the fuck's going on? And we're like, this is weird. I'm fucking petrified. Because it's, it's it, it, the people that come from Holland to go to South Africa on, a, on KLM, uh-huh. they are the Dutch Afrikaans people. Right. And they are the scariest cunts you've ever met. Right. They are, they are. Fearless. Fearless in there. I don't like you. <laughs> you know? And and this is back in the days when I had the punky hair and the, the uh-huh. singlets and everything. And I was even worse because I was sitting with blacks. Oh, yeah, okay. So it was it was palpable. But anyway, carry on. I interrupt. All right, no, it doesn't matter. So let's, 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 finish with, let's, let's finish with Australia Day. We'll finish yep. with uh, sorting out Australia Day. So right. let's, uh, uh, when do you think it should be? I thought I had a good day for it. The, uh, because, we, like I said, we haven't turned it into anything good. By the way, I'm, I, I, what you said before is we have a lot of days where we want to celebrate us. Like we already, like Anzac Day's become a thing. Yeah. We already have like the Melbourne Cup and all these sort of things. Grand Final Day is kind of a national That's celebration. It. AFL Day. Right. AFL Day. Change Australia Day to AFL Day. 
Right? Yeah, but then we just boo the Aboriginal people. Okay, so, but change what it means. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Because no one's really done anything to change what Australia Day means. Well, I would love it to be on Sorry Day. That, no, that was what I was thinking. Sorry Day. Yeah. Because I mean, it's change a, Australia Day to Sorry Day. Let's 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 celebrate that. Was that. So classy. Because it also reminds us we don't, you know, we have Remembrance Day, right? Uh, we sell it, you know, we still recognise England's Remembrance Day. But I think the greatest thing we could do in this country, I honestly think, in future, if you look at Australia, if Australia really wants to be a progressive, world-leading country in ways that we used to be, that we don't seem to want to be as much these days. Then one of the things that we can do, it's really obvious and it's going to be really fucking hard, but if we tried to do it, if we could in fully incorporate the history of our country into our country and not be ashamed of it in the way we are and fully celebrate it and have a country where we're like, oh, look at Australia and the way that you know they healed their relationship with their Indigenous people and incorporated it in. Other countries have I done agree, it. You look at what New Zealand has done. Country. Because once you do that, and what we could gain as our cultural history and moving forward with that being healed and part of our story going forward, it would make us only better and stronger. And can you imagine, like, if you think it's good to have a party on Australia Day now, imagine if you could have a party that you didn't have to be ashamed that your four you know, bears had stolen the country off those people on that day. No, never mind that. Like, uh, it, it actually have something that recognises the geological miracle. Right. That this place is. The fact that it's stromatolite day. There are living stromatolites in Australia. I mean... The world's oldest living organism. The lungs of the earth that converted carbon dioxide to oxygen that previously only existed in scientific theory. Then they found fossils. Now there are actually living ones in Shark Bay, north of Perth, Western Australia. The, the, the fact that they've found out that this used to be partially underwater. The fact that this is the world's most secluded island and the world's oldest and most sensitive ecosystem that there are actual living dinosaurs on this fucking right planet. still here oh we want to focus on the last 250 fucking years it's crazy wake up we have this like ancient civilization yes. that should be celebrated and like you like you said literally i mean foreigners come here and they want to say kangaroo guess what because there are so many things that are here that don't exist anywhere else. And we kind of... That they had to invent a brand new genus. But also that have stories. If you look at the, you know, indigenous tradition and like, you know, the idea of the rainbow serpent and the stories they have literally about these animals and, yeah, the connections to like spirituality and their stories. They're amazingly entertaining like stories that could be part of our cultural history that we could go forward not having to be... We can't celebrate that stuff because there's so much bad stuff and stuff that we've fucked up that it brings up that we can't celebrate. You know? you know what? You're a wrestling fan, aren't you? Yeah, sure. You are a wrestling fan. You know, as an analogy, you know what it's like? It's like defining Bret Hart's career on the Montreal Screwjob. Right. <laughs> right. It's the fact that if we acknowledged it and then moved on, we could actually look at the fact that it is just a footnote right. in the world's, like, the world's most untouched ecosystem, the mm. world's oldest culture, the world's... There's so much there to actually be kind of proud of. And like that's why I always like I'm underwhelmed by New York. Cause I just like I even I forgive me if I'm doing a bit, but I, I do go like I explain what stromatolites are. And New York's always like, well, this is the greatest city in the world. And I'm like, mate, we've got living stromatolites. And I give a long explanation of what stromatolites are. And I go, the lungs of the earth, what is it, two and a half half billion years old. Older than anything, it's the reason we all exist. So you'll have to excuse me if a hundred foot poster of Puff Daddy flogging jumpers leaves me a tad fucking underwear. <laughs>
And see, that's that's the healing comedy of Brendan Burns. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on, mate. Thank I'm, you so I'm much for having out me. Of here. Uh, so you're touring around Australia. I'm going to put this up today. So okay. um, let uh, people know where they can come and see you do your standing up well, comedy. Also, the So I Suppose is up free on my YouTube channel. It's Brendan oh, yeah. with an O, Brendan okay. Burns. Well, there you go. So firstly... And- you know, you can go and check that out. Yeah. Like, go, is this for me? You'll be like, yes, it is. Then they're like, you can. So that's your free taste. You got your little free taste. There's a freebie. And you, then, have, you have a podcast as well. We can mention that. Dumb and then, white guy. Yeah. So dumb white guy. I you can thoroughly recommend Luke and I traveling across the uh, Australian outback together. My son and I. There it's funny. Go. My son rates better than anyone. He rates better than anyone. Ratings go up when Luke's on the show. Oh, there you go. Look I know at that. you missed out. You missed out. You could have uh, got Luke in. I know. I don't, well, I didn't realize that he was the hot young thing. I didn't, <laughs> realize, I didn't realize that he had like a lot of internet traffic. He's got heat. Yeah. All right. my, my kid's got heat. It's probably some algorithm that the young people understand. <laughs> he, uh, uh, I'm in Perth for Frio Royale for three nights. Then I'm at the Adelaide Fringe. I think I'll bump into you there. Uh-huh. Uh, I might even do a live version of the podcast. Love oh. to have you on. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. That'd and cool. then uh, Sydney, and then home. And then I think I'm off to India, then Africa. Okay, not doing any Melbourne shows? No. No? It's, okay. it's too too long a commitment. Uh-huh. Um, but I uh, I mean, I, you sell out your run in a heartbeat there, don't you? Well, I mean, not in a heartbeat. Come on. I sell out the run by the end of the run. Sometimes, most of the time, I suppose. But I heard you plug in dates the other day on your show. Oh, yeah. You I mean, I always plug dates. That's sold out. There are some things that have sold out already. I'll be doing Fire at Will, uh, <laughs> Adelaide, uh, Adelaide, Brisbane, and Melbourne. How uh, many shows have you done there? Uh, so this will be show 22. How many have you recorded? I mean, I've got like recordings probably of, you know, I'm guessing probably 15 of them if I really wanted to find a recording. Basically, since, you know, you can record stuff in some way. But, you know, like as in like publishable type recordings, like I've only done a couple of DVDs and there's like a couple other things floating around. That's crazy. So you've written 22 shows Uh, and only three of them have been released. Yep. Yep. Well, what's the point of, I'm going to sound extremely highfalutin here. What's, What's the point? What's the point of being prolific without posterity? Um, you know what? Like, <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, I think that that's a fair question. And it's one that now... So basically, after my last one, we're now doing one every year at the moment. So right. the aim is literally to every year work towards like, you know, being able to publish just the show at the end of the year. Right. In some ways, I'm really glad of it. Brandon. Even not even looking for a DVD deal. I mean, just, you know... Of just giving it away for free almost. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's the case. I mean, we don't necessarily, you know, going forward, because DVDs don't sell really DVDs in this country anymore. Um, I like the idea of it living on. The ABC played my last special, um, which I recorded like almost a year ago today. Um, and they played that at the end of the year. And like, you know, 700,000 people watched it. That's more than will ever watch me actually do my gigs, you right. know, like, so it's quite a, so if that could happen regularly, I'd obviously I'd be wrapped with, with that sort of thing. Um Part of it was I had a bad experience when I recorded one in 2009 and I just didn't love the show, never watched it, just didn't love, you know, like, and that really put me off for a really long Did time. Did you, like, put all your eggs in one basket? It was only one night. No, it was two it was nights. Take. Just no. two nights, but you just weren't I happy. Just, I reckon I made some bad decisions and I just didn't really like the show. Right. Like, you know, like, it was the first time I, I put a lot of pressure on it and I don't think that I really, I, I don't feel like it really looked like me. You know, I was like, it was a good show. Like, people have given me good feedback on the show and people have enjoyed the show. But I do not, when I watch it, it doesn't feel like me doing stand-up comedy to me. Right. Um, some of it I'm glad that it never is out, to be honest. Like, I like the idea that going forward, that like, you know, I could release a bunch of stuff now. You can and do B-sides in you know, a heartbeat. Yeah. But also I like that kind of, 
I don't know. I kind of like that idea that for a while, the only way you could see my stand-up show was to come and see me do my show. And gotcha. that was part of like, I mean, I did have that idea of if people can just watch the DVD, they'll just watch the DVD instead of coming out to see the shows. And I, I love doing the shows more than anything. And I think also one of the things that really bothered me about the DVD was my shows are always different. Like in a run, like... Even yeah. even when we recorded the show at the Opera House, we recorded two shows, you know, in the night, so that yeah. you got the. We couldn't cut between them because Fuck. they were so fucking different. Like, and they were in the same room on the same night, you know, because I just can't do the show the same. Like, I want to feel. To me, it's got to be in vibe with the audience. I've got to be in that moment. The jokes aren't going to come out the same way, you know, or yeah. with the same intention. It's got to be a show that works. And so I was always a bit hesitant to go. This is the definitive version of the show because God, yeah. it annoyed me. But now, and then actually, you drive yourself mad with that because you always forget a bit right or you just get a bit wrong on the dvd that you know you've done so much better so many other times oh, yeah. but i just got older and i got more comfortable with that in fact to the point where this year because we can only have one date to film and i'm going to do it during the comedy festival film last year's show you know um so we only have one one go at it and i'm fine with that because okay. now these days i'm a bit more in that because vo- we we use one version from the opera house and i'm fine with that i'll leave if there's some mistakes or the, if there's a bit of it being where it is i'm much more comfortable with that now than i was originally you know right, that idea yeah. of going this is just one night's version of this show gotcha and that's what it is and i'm fine with that it doesn't need to be the best or the you know the definitive version of this show it's a a version of this show you know so going forward that is what i'm going to try to do but yes in the past it has not been something that i've done but i'm glad because there'd be some stuff in that back catalog that i don't reckon i'd be particularly wrapped with it you know being out there and recorded no <laughs> so. you, you, you go back over the old stuff and you're like oh god yeah i uh it's like when a new comedian messages me and goes this is my set i put it up on youtube Can why you give me some would you feedback? do that my feedback is don't put your set on youtube don't Just do that making mistakes in private oh. get good but, but everyone thinks they're amazing starting out. I mean, that's how the only reason you can start, because if you knew how shit you were, you'd never start. You'd, you'd, yeah, you'd never get back on stage. Yeah. Delusion carries you through. All right, we, we should finish this, because we've been banging on for ages. Oh, and, my God, uh, yes. What, that flew what, How long have good. we done? Just 90 minutes, but that's all right. That's that good. flew by. Yes, uh, but, you know, oh, you, I'm parked in someone else's park, so we should finish up. We should do that. Uh, Brendan Burns, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for Thank doing the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, buddy. Uh, and we'll talk again soon. Let's do Adelaide. <laughs>